Well, you, you probably know that a, a wonderful um, American speaker has come this weekend. Um, you, you may have heard him yesterday. Um, we haven't got him today. Uh, we have another wonderful speaker. Uh, actually, our speaker was here as a backup to the bishop. Um, just, yeah, I know. Don't tell anyone that I said that. Just, in, you know, we don't want it to get out. But um, joking aside, uh, we have for a second week, if you were here last week, you, you hopefully will have enjoyed listening to him then. But um, our guest speaker this week is our very great friend. Uh, he's come all the way from the uh, Red Bluff Vineyard in Northern California. It's a long way. Uh, we're so delighted that he's been with us uh, this past week. So please, would you give another very warm Elstree Vineyard kind of welcome to Luke Geraghty. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, it is, once again, uh, just an honor to be with you. Um, very privileged to speak at this church and to spend time with Steve. I actually wanted to take a moment uh, and to repent for last week. Uh, last week, I made some uh, negative remarks about Steve's pink shirt, and after spending a week with him, I couldn't resist buying my own, uh, and, and then a weird thing happened. My glasses became similar to his, and I have been trying to channel uh, everything that he would do. In fact, my new question is not, what would Jesus do? It's, what would Steve do? Uh, once I get to the U.S., I'll do the opposite. Uh, but no, it's been great. I have had such a great time with Steve and Lynn, and uh, you, hopefully you all know how privileged and honored uh, you know, we are to have them in the vineyard, not just this local church, but they are a gift to the vineyard movement as a whole. And in the United States, there's a lot of respect and love for them, and so you are hopefully aware of the fact that you could have a worse pastor. They're out there. <laughs> so hey, uh, I would love to pray, and then we'll jump into the message. So let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together as your people and to gather together uh, as a diverse group of people from different ethnic groups, different socioeconomic classes, from different backgrounds, and yet we can gather together uh, to spend time wanting to encounter you and experience your presence. And so I do ask Holy Spirit for you to come. And I thank you for engaging our hearts and our minds and help us this morning to think about how we can apply Scripture in the way that we live. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, two years ago when I was here, uh, I had been um, pastoring a church in Wisconsin for about 11 years. Uh, Wisconsin is a state in the Midwest. It's uh, very cold, lots of snow. I mean, we would get snow about this high on a regular basis. Uh, And so we had been there for, for quite a long time, 11 years. And then we sensed the Lord actually calling us to transition from uh, Wisconsin to transition to the West Coast, where there was no snow. It was a very easy transition. Uh, (laughs) Yes, Lord, may we please go. Uh, Kidding. But we we transitioned, and when we transitioned, the church that we went to had, um, it was about 25, 24 years old, and it had gone through a a bit of decline over a few years and had gotten down to about 35 people uh, regularly attending, somewhere around there. Um, And so we were transitioning from a church that was a little bit larger than that. And um, because we were transitioning to a smaller church, my assumptions were that we would transition and it would take a long time 
to develop relationships uh, and to connect with people and that within like three to five years we would start to kind of grow. Because the reality is that when pastors transition, when churches transition, most of the time it's, it's a difficult transition for everybody involved because you're getting to know people. And in the U.S., we kind of, um, we, the, the average amount of time it takes for a pastor to be in a church to become like accepted and respected and honored in the sense of being a pastor is about five to seven years. So I knew that we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of work ahead of us. And I was somewhat kind of excited about that because my wife and I love uh, challenges, and the idea of trying to grow a church of 35 people was, was actually kind of exciting for me. And everything went um, pretty uh, radically different than our expectations. In fact, what happened with us is within a year, our church had grown nearly 1,500%. Um, so we went from being 35 to five or 600 people, and it was... Uh, pretty overwhelming emotionally for me because we were still trying to get to know people and there was like new people kept coming and we would have other people who had been in the church forever come up to, to us and ask, you know, who are these new people? And we're like, I don't know, we're new too. Um, and it was really emotional, uh, it was emotionally exhausting to be quite uh, honest with you. Um, and the challenges that we found as our church grew so quickly was obviously the first, one of the first challenges was relationships. Because as you can imagine, when you've been in a small church community with 35 people, you know each other really well, right? I mean, you're close, and you, you kind of know what to expect. And we had hundreds of new people coming within the first few months that were brand new that we just didn't know. And then, you know, it offset some of the uh, things that we expect about church. I mean, there were people who would actually say to me, I came to church this morning, and someone was sitting in my seat. And I was like, I didn't know you owned that seat. That's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, there was the, the common challenges of, hey, we like being in a worship gathering with our friends. And then when we, when we went to two services, all of a sudden, some of the people that you were in church with, you, you aren't going to see as much because they go to the earlier service or they go to the later service. And there were lots of challenges like that. There was also an interesting phenomenon of disconnectedness. As our church was growing, it became more challenging to be connected because there were more and more people. Um, I mean, truth be told, this is not an exaggeration at all. Most, most Sunday mornings when I would like get out there and walk out there and see as many people as we had, I started to have panic attacks, and I was like overwhelmed because it was like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to get to know all these people? And it was a little dissettling uh, 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 in that sense. And then what happened is our leadership in our church started to ask a lot of questions. In fact, these were common conversations that we had about what we should be committed to as a church. And so, like, some people would say, well, we need to, as a church, really spend a lot of our time being committed to community. We need to be about forming relationships with the people that we have here. We need to care for each other. We need to do everything we can to meet each other's needs. And then another group of people in our leadership team said, we need to be committed to growth. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is doing some amazing things in our community, and we have hundreds of new people coming, so we need to continue to reach out to people in our community. And so it's interesting because the question was, should we be committed to, to a, a, a growing, outreach-minded type of perspective, or should we be caring for each other and, and continue to build community and relationships? And I remember just sitting there oftentimes in these meetings, and I would say, you know, can I give you a vineyard perspective on that question of whether we should be a caring church or we should be an outreach-minded church? I'd say the answer is yes. 
The answer is absolutely yes. We should do both because I don't believe that we should pick one or the other. A healthy church is always going to be a church that cares for each other but also leans towards God's mission of trying to see other people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Can I get a head nod or an amen? All right, so we're in agreement on that. So look, this is what I want to do. I, this morning, I like to look at a passage of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 4 that will help us think about this biblically. The writer says this, the author Peter says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you Every single one of them, right? That's what Peter's saying. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So pause for a minute. Every follower of Jesus has been given spiritual gifts according to the Apostle Paul. And so no matter what your background is here, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for 5,000 years, which is, by the way, a miracle, uh, Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or new, God has actually given you spiritual gifts, and your spiritual gifts are given for a purpose. Then he says, use them. This is the purpose. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with and speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And so it's from this passage that I, I want to suggest that we see the commitment to both things. We see uh, that we're supposed to value both the community, serving one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, but we're also supposed to serve towards the mission of reaching more and more people. And, and that's kind of the point that Peter's making here because he says, A, you need to continue to show deep love and you need to use your spiritual gifts, but he also says that we should cheerfully share our homes with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. Now, that might not really connect in our culture, but in the ancient world, hospitality was an evangelistic or a missional way of doing life because there weren't hotels very often, and most people couldn't afford to stay at them anyway. So, in fact, in the early church, and you see this in in ancient writings in history from Roman emperors, acknowledging that one of the reasons why the church grew so quickly by the 4th century was because of hospitality. Christians would show hospitality, they would meet people's needs, and that made a huge difference in their world. And so we see right here we should never buy into being a church that is only caring versus a church that is outreach-minded. It's, it's never that way. In fact, the vineyard has, as long as I've been in the vineyard, I've been in the vineyard for most of my life, we've always been a movement that is rather, either, rather than being either or, we are always both and. We are both and you know, we're both committed to caring for people and creating space for community, but we're also a church that is committed to reaching those who do not know Jesus. And so it's interesting because we went through this massive growth. In fact, I mean, it was, it was overwhelming, and, and I, I don't want to, like, um, suggest that it was bad. You know, obviously growing is a good thing. Well, right? It, it, it should be good. Would we all agree with that? Like, churches, you should say amen to the fact that a church grows, but in reality, it's really challenging and really difficult. Can I get an amen to that? It is. Like, I mean, think about this church within two years has grown from one service to two services. So as I was praying and thinking about what I wanted to share this morning, I thought this morning it might be helpful to talk about a few things that have been helpful for us in our context and that have, in a sense, helped me stay rooted to be able to continue being committed to both being caring and missional. Uh, 
both wanting to see community thrive and grow as well as wanting to see people who are far from Jesus come to know Jesus. And so what I want to talk this morning about are some different um, ideas or some ways to think about church, what is happening here, and what this space is actually about. I want to talk about what you need to, I think, somewhat commit to, to being and to experiencing in order to continue growing as a church. Because I really do believe that this church has the potential to not only continue to grow, you know, by tens and twenties and thirties, but you have the potential to grow by the hundreds. And that might, might rub some of you wrong because you think, oh, God doesn't care about numbers. That is pure rubbish. In the book of Acts, we actually see numerous times where the author notes and 3,000 were added to the church. Because here's the reality. Every single number represents a human being. And I believe with all of my heart that God is very eager to be known and he wants to have relationship with every single person. So I don't know how many people live in Aylesbury, but wouldn't it be amazing if every single, follow, or every single person in Aylesbury became a follower of Jesus? It's, it's like the goal, right? And so I have just gotten to the point where I'm not ashamed of saying, I want everybody to know Jesus. And if they come to our church, great, that's fine. If they don't, I hope they plug into another uh, church. But there's some things about the vineyard, uh, uh, the vineyard, a vineyard church that are important for us this morning. And here's what, what I've come to believe about the vineyard. When I try to describe what a vineyard is, I say this. I say that the vineyard is a community of people serving one another and engaging with the world for the sake of God's mission. That is, that is how I define a vineyard church. And let me say that again. A vineyard, a vineyard church, a healthy vineyard church is a community of people serving one another and engaging with the world for the sake of God's mission. And so our, our church grows, up really, grows really quickly. And it was, it was fascinating uh, to, to be on the you know, side of that actually happening because most of the time it's like, why can't we grow? So our church grows really quick. And people started asking questions like this. They would say, Luke, I'd love to pick your brain for a few minutes. Okay, we'd set up a meeting, and then they would say, okay, so, like, what are you guys doing? What's the secret to success? What's the shortcut that I can take? And let me just tell you right now, there are no shortcuts in church growth. Church growth is really, really difficult. It means that you're committed to certain values and certain ideas, and you do certain practices, and God blesses those things. And so here's a couple of the things that we've learned in our context that have been helpful for us that are not shortcuts, they're just realities. Number one, the Vineyard Church community... And this is what I want to say is the, the way to think about this space. The Vineyard Church community is the space where we both give and receive. It's where we serve and are served. It's a remarkable space, church gatherings are. It's like we gather together and we can both receive from God and receive from other people, but we can also give back to God and give back to other people. And it's a remarkable space in the, in the fact that I think in order for us to become healthy ambassadors of the kingdom, healthy at, at reaching people, we have to be able to receive. Let me give you a real practical, uh, kind of a funny, snarky way of looking at it, but uh, there's certain people in churches that love praying for people. Like, they just want to pray for people all the time. So I've had people say, oh, Luke, can I pray for you? And I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to receive prayer. And, and so they're like, yeah, I'd like to bless you with some prayer. I'm like, that's fantastic. And so they'll come and pray for me, and they'll lay their hands on my shoulder, and then they'll pray for like 45 minutes. And I don't know about you, but that's like a really long time. I, I get hungry, like really quick. Like right now, I already want to have a hamburger or something, you know? And so it's not helpful. And, and I think the reality is that if they receive prayer, they would realize that sometimes the 45-minute prayers are actually not that helpful. Does that make sense? 
It's, it's like, it's a kind of a, a funny way to look at it, but if we receive, we sometimes get a clue as to how we can be more effective at, at, at helping people, right? It's the same reason why it's not just helpful to host people, but it's also helpful to be hosted. Because when you're in the context of being hosted, you can learn about how to effectively meet people's needs, Okay. And so the church community is a space where we both give and receive, serve and are served. This gathering is a space where that happens. And one of the beautiful things that John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, used to say that I have found to be so helpful for me is that we cannot give away what we don't have. And so we all need to be ministered to in order to be able to minister, right? We receive God's love not just for ourselves, but we receive God's love to be able to overflow with that love to the world around us. So that's one of the things that's been helpful for us to think about for church, like what's actually happening. The second thing, number two, is the church community is the common space where we encounter God and experience his transformative presence. Let me say that again. This worship gathering, the vine- your gatherings as the, as the vineyard gathers together, this community is the common space where we as human beings encounter God and experience his transformative presence. And whether it's a large gathering, medium gathering, or small gathering, doesn't matter. As we gather together with other people, God meets us. And this is true for those who identify as followers of Jesus, but it's just as true for, for non-followers of Jesus. And that's what I think is so beautiful about church gatherings. Think about that for a minute. You gathered this morning, and, and what I did is when we were, we were singing songs, I sensed God's presence. Anybody else in the room sense God's presence? Some of you did? All right, so obviously we're on the right page. Some of you need to become more spiritual, apparently. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but so, so, so those of us who are followers of Jesus may have sensed this unique um, presence of God, and we sense it. Well, what about the person who is, doesn't have a church background, has never been in church before ever, but in some unique way, they also sense the deep love of God? The same thing is happening for both Christians and non-Christians in this space. And that's the beautiful thing about these type of gatherings. It's, it's why I, as, a, as a, just a human being, not a pastor, I'm always constantly wanting to invite people to our gatherings, whether it's a royal wedding plant party or if it's a Sunday morning gathering, because those are spaces where I think God actually can respond to our, to our uh, meeting together. So I, I have this saying that I say to people all the time in our church that I think is really a helpful way to look at it, it is that people are always one invitation away from encountering God. Think about that. They're one invitation away from encountering God. So you might invite a person three, four, five times, and they keep saying, no, not really interested. Maybe, okay, fine, I'll come check it out. Uh, And that's in December, and then they wait until Easter. And they come, and and on that Easter Sunday that they come, that, that was the invitation that it took for them to encounter God. Does that make sense? And so it's this space is unique, I think. It's where we gather together to encounter God and experience his transformative presence in a powerful way. So the first thing is that the church community is a space where we both give and receive, serve and are served. The second thing is that a church community is the common space where we encounter God and experience his transformative presence. The third thing that I think is really uh, important is that the church community is the space where followers of Jesus serve in God's mission and are thereby transformed by the Holy Spirit. Like there's something unique about actually participating. In fact, if you, if you go to... Um, 
you know, study in, in university or in grad school, what you'll find if you study any sociologist, any sociologist who's studying any group of people always enters into that, that world, right? So if you go to another country, say China, you're going to enter into the, the village life of a, of a Chinese province, and you're going to try to learn what they experience. And the same thing, I think, is true in the kingdom of God. If you really want to learn about the ways of the kingdom, you have to enter into the life of the kingdom, and that is in the community by serving in some way. One of the things that um, I, we experienced in our churches that grew is that we'd have certain people, you know, uh, complain. In America, people complain in churches. I know in Aylesbury, it doesn't happen at all. So you're so spiritual, you've never had a complaint ever about anything. But let me just show you what it's like in the rest of the world, all right? And I'd have people complain, and they'd say things like, oh, you know, the church is just growing, and, and you know, I, there's people I don't know, and, and I also really want to have some depth in my in my. Christian experience. I want to come to church and have these big words and, and learn things about that, you know, about the kingdom. And it's interesting because I believe with all of my heart that preachers should preach to who's in the audience, not to who they want to be in the audience, right? And so in our context, we've had a lot of new, like new to the church, new to the kingdom come in. So we're constantly like trying to help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're starting at ground zero and working our way up. Okay? And so when somebody says things like, I want to have depth, I'm always reminded of something that John Wimber used to say. So John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, his church at one time, six, 7,000 people in it in Anaheim, California, massively large. And people would say the same thing to him. I would like to have a little more depth. And his response was always, guess what? The meat is in the streets. And what he meant by that is that you will actually grow in the context of serving rather than just sitting in a chair listening to me speak. Like, a perfect example of that is, is somebody in our church, we've had a number of people who are like, hey, you know, they start following Jesus, and they want to get involved, and like, hey, I'd like to actually help out with kids' ministry, and I'm like, thank God, because I don't, so this works out great. Uh, and so they'll go through the background check process, and they'll do all the training, and then what they find is that as they start teaching these classes, they actually begin learning about Jesus and the kingdom just as much as the kids, if not more. In fact, I constantly hear that from people volunteering in our kids' ministry. I'm learning all about Jesus. Did you know? And then they'll, you know, quote some Bible verse to me. So it's in the context of serving that we are transformed. We are transformed in the context of serving. And what I think is really beautiful about the whole idea of everybody gets to play, everybody in this room being given spiritual gifts and having passions, and everybody in this room being challenged to engage and participate in this church's mission, is that that is how your church is going to grow. That is how you're going to continue to reach people in your city. So here's the way to to think about it. I I like to use this illustration of how, imagine a chain, you know, and chains have links, right? And every link uh, connects one part of the chain to the other part. So imagine this big, long chain of of different ministries that this church has. And so on one hand, you have the, the brand new person coming to this church for the first time, and then you have God. And the whole idea is that your gathering is hopefully creating a space where everybody, whether follower of Jesus or not, can connect with God. Does that make sense? Like, that's kind of why you, you meet, hopefully, right? And so here's what the common uh, person's experience is, though. Um, most people who attend a church for the first time are totally freaked out by you weirdos. Did you know that? Like, it, just talk to people who don't have church backgrounds. They are like, it's, it's so fun. Like, one of the ways I've done that in our community is I'll find someone who's not churched, and I'll actually pay them to come to my church. Like, I went to a gas station. I, you probably have a different way of describing that, but, you know, I'm getting gas for my car, and I meet this lady, and I said, hey, would you be willing to come to my church? 
And she's like, well, you know, like, what's that? And I said, well, it's this meeting. It's kind of weird, but we need to find out how weird we are. So can you come and just tell us how weird we are? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. And I gave her like, you know, 50 US dollars. And so she came to our church and gave us her impression of the church service. And it was so fascinating because she's like, I just don't understand why you stand up staring at a screen singing karaoke. I did not understand that. I was like, oh, fair point. Uh, and so the people who don't have church backgrounds enter into our space, and it can be really scary. I mean, think of if you don't have a church background in your childhood, think about the first time you went to church. It's like anxiety, there's fears, you don't know the secret handshakes or the secret password and all those expectations that you have, you're unsure of. You have questions like, will there be people like me? the same ethnic background as me or the same socioeconomic status or the same hobbies and desires. And so it can be really scary. So what you've designed here at the Aylesbury Vineyard, what I've observed is you've designed a process for people to go from the parking lot to the front door. And hopefully they have a good parking lot experience. Then they go to the front door and hopefully someone is smiling at the front door and says, welcome to the vineyard. We're so glad you're here. And then they go from there and they walk into this foyer and they see that there's signs telling them that A, the kids can go that way and B, there's bathrooms right here. And each one of those stops are chain links. They're links in the chain that are giving people a positive experience. Does that make sense? Right, And so they go into the kids' room, and they see that the kids' room is actually clean, and that there's security, and there's safety, and they're like, okay, I can leave my kids here, and know that someone's going to take care of them. And then they go into the bathroom, and they see that it's actually clean, and that there's, there's um, you know, soap on, uh, at, the, at the sink. And they're also like, wow, this is really great, too, because in the United States, there's actually numerous studies that have demonstrated that people are more likely to return to a church if the bathroom is clean than any other reason. I know that here in England, you guys are way more spiritual than that. But So anyway, they have a positive experience there. Then they go into the cafe, and they have a cup of coffee, and they enjoy people saying, you know, we're so glad you're here. We, we just value you so much, and they feel welcome. And then they come into this space with their coffee cup, and they're excited about that. They hear, you know, great music, and then they hear a powerful, powerful, powerful sermon by Lynn. And then, um, <laughs> right? Sorry, Steve. Uh, so it's, and they, and they actually hear, they hear the radical message of God's love for the first time, perhaps. And they sense the Holy Spirit pouring out God's love in their heart. In, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says that the reason that the Holy Spirit has been given is to pour out God's love into our hearts. And so they have that experience, and then they make a decision at that point to reorient their life around the king and kingdom. They say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And then they come into your community. Like, that's why you exist as a church. You exist as a community to be able to connect people to God and to connect people to other people. That is actually why you exist. And so that's why I think we should just totally get rid of all these different categories of like, well, are you saved or are you not saved? Because if you're saved, I'm going to treat you one way. And if you're not saved, I'm going to treat you another. The whole point of this thing is to help connect people. Amen? That's why we exist. And so you have to see this space, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or if it's in the parties that you plan where you're trying to give people an opportunity to kind of stick their feet into the pool, so to speak, and test the water. You have to give those spaces this this idea that they're actually spaces where people will connect with God. And they might connect with other people too. If so, if you want to grow and if you want to see this church grow, I want to encourage you to serve in this church. Because I just, I know, I've been here enough to know that this is the type of church that you can plug in and you can be a part of what God is doing 
in Aylesbury and the surrounding communities. And he is at work, folks. Your church has grown, within two years, has grown by over 40%. You've gone from one service to two services. You're, you're growing. You are absolutely growing. Most churches are not experiencing more than 10% growth. And so God is clearly at work here. You know, for myself, what's fascinating about the church community is that having grown up in church, I call it like the church world, you know, I've been in church for my whole entire life, as far back as I can remember. And by the age of 19, I had become pretty disillusioned with church, as I've kind of shared uh, last week. You know, where it was like, I don't know. I mean, I remember saying things like, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. I mean, I was just at a point where it was like, I did not see the fruitfulness of church community. And so my wife and I, who both grew up in church, we would like give lip service to it. Like, yeah, mom and dad, ah, church is so important. And I'd play video games every Sunday morning for four hours, you know, or whatever it was. I was just not committed to it. So my wife and I get married, though. And, and we, were, we, we had uh, gotten married when we were very young. We were 22 years old, um, which I'm now, you know, <laughs> I've like come to this point where I was like, we did not know what we were doing. What were we thinking at that age? So we got married at 22 years old, and we had what in America we call it the five-year plan. Have you ever heard of the five-year plan? The five-year plan is we are going to be married and just enjoy each other and enjoy life and not have children because they will suck the life out of you. That's our assumption. And so we did really good. We, we were, you know, a year into this five-year plan, and then uh, I went up to my wife, and I was like, we should totally have kids. That would be a brilliant idea. Uh, so my wife now blames everything on me because I'm the one who initiated this whole thing. But she gets pregnant, and we find out that we're going to have a child, and I'm more excited than I've ever been excited about anything before. I mean, it was like a badge of maturity for me. I am finally going to be taken seriously because I have a kid. And so I was very excited about it. So three months into the pregnancy, my wife uh, gives me a phone call and says, hey, I just want to let you know that um, I just went to the doctor um, and I'm, I've, I'm having a miscarriage, but we have twins. And so one of the children is, is um, miscarrying, but the second will probably most likely uh, make it. And so I was actually uh, traveling at the time, and so I was like, okay, um, I'll come home right now. And so I flew, was flying home and got there, and I found out uh, when my mother-in-law came to pick me up that, that, our, that the second um, baby had died. And so deeply, deeply wounded, but I will say this, that I could not connect with the emotional grief that my wife uh, was experiencing. I mean, it was on a completely different scale, and I think part of that, if we're honest, is that it was still so new. I hadn't, you know, felt the, baby ki- the baby's kick or had this um, physical and emotional connection in the same way that my wife did, and my wife goes into deep, 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 deep grief. In fact, it was like massive, um, uh, I guess, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder would be what I would call it now. And so we are, you know, two months into that. And what we did is we started attending this, this church gathering around this time, though, this church. And this church loved us like we had never been loved before. And they were able to come alongside my wife and pray for her and, and encourage her and listen to her. And so one thing I wanted to say this morning is that uh, what we found is that miscarriages are actually quite common. You know, we, my wife felt like she was the only person who ever experienced it. But in this room right now, there are women who experienced miscarriages. And so if you've experienced that, and you might think that you're all alone, you're not all alone. There's people in this church that can come alongside you and can love on you and can pray for you and can just listen. Can I get an amen? amen. It's very true. And so we experienced that. We experienced in the midst of 
church, in community, we experienced this space where God met us through people. It was so obvious to us that we totally changed our perspective on church. I was like, I, I have to be a part of a church community now. And that is one of the major things that caused me to change the course of my life, to go down this road and to enter into serving as a pastor and being involved in church. Like, I, I will always be involved in a church community whether I'm working as a pastor or not. Like, I just have totally come to buy into it. So that's how we experienced church as a space where we can encounter God personally. But let, me, let me show you one last story with you before we uh, close. So there's this lady who calls our church uh, about, a, about a year ago. And she calls and she says, hey, I want to talk to one of the preachers, you know, the preacher man. And, um, you know, we were kind of trying to figure out what that was. We're like, what's a preacher man, you know? And it's like, do you mean a pastor? And she's like, I don't know, one of the people that works at the church. So, okay, come on in. So she comes immediately and, and walks into my office and sits down and she's holding this oxygen tank. And she sits down and, and she just looks at me and she, she says, well, uh, my doctor just told me that I'm, I'm going to die within the next three to six months. And so I need to figure out this whole God thing. Like, what, what's up with God? And I was like, I mean, I'm like not prepared for that. I was like, don't you want to have an argument about the authority of Scripture or why church matters? And she's like, no, just what's up with God? And um, so I started explaining to her, you know, the story of redemption. And starting in Genesis and kind of telling her the story about how God is so eager to have relationships with his people that he willingly initiated this whole story of redemption by sending his son who willingly came here to live on this earth and to die on a cross and be raised from the dead so that we could have everlasting life. And she's like, okay, I'll take that. I mean, right, like, I mean, just quick poll. Is there anybody in here who would prefer to go to hell just out of curiosity? No, like everybody's pretty much like, whatever the opposite of that is, I want. So she just is like, I, I, you know, I want to do it. And so I'm like, okay, great. So I say a prayer, and we, we have this prayer moment, and she's like, this is great, thank you. And then she gets up, and that was it. I was done. I was going to go to lunch. And then she sees on our table this little invitation card that says that they're invited to our church services. And she says to me, can I go to one of your church services? And then it dawns on me that I'm a complete moron. And I'm like, Yeah! You should totally come to our church. And so she comes. She comes that first week, and then she comes the next week, and comes the next week, and then she kept on coming. She, after three or four weeks, she got plugged in. She started serving in every different team that she could. She was at our church building all the time. And so then, sadly, about a year later, she passed away. And at her funeral, there were dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people who had, who had come to be blessed by her life and her serving in our local church. So she did the sound, she did, this, she did music things, she was in connect groups, she did everything. And there were dozens of people who said, her, her place in this church made a difference in my life, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. So she ended her life touching dozens of people's lives. And I'm just telling you this morning that you could be that same person by serving in this church community.